the series Love Works, and it really is built around this uh, overarching theme of what Jesus taught us was the greatest thing we can ever do with our life, loving God and loving others. And so the idea is that when we have love for God, it needs to be put into action. The idea is that love works, but love works when it's put into action. And the idea that we're to be both lovers of God and lovers of people, that this is important. We'll talk about that. Now, here's how I envision this moment. You know, originally when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, about this opening message to the six-part series that we're opening the year with. And I was thinking, okay, I, I saw like this pathway. And um, the way I was looking at it was there was going to be this, these stones, kind of like four stones leading to a gateway. And the gateway was going to set the table for the entire series, sort of this discussion of what Jesus said was most important. But to get there, there were like four stones on a path that creates, gets us to this opening spot. And the, the stones, for me, came from one of the great books of the Old Testament, not often appreciated, I think, in a way that it should be. Because a lot of times, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is, comes right on the heels of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then it's sandwiched Song of Solomon. It's right in between Proverbs and Song of Solomon. It's a wisdom book, poetic book. But it has a, a lot of truth in it. But it sometimes it's disregarded because it can sound a little dark or... Um, a little almost dis discouraging, depressing, or maybe even melancholy is a better word. It, it often talks about death and the vanity of, of life. It was, it was actually a book that was very important to me. When I was um, in school, I remember in high school, I had just begun to really make a serious commitment to follow Christ. And I remember how I, was, I started to read the Bible in a much different way than I had ever before. And one of the books that stood out to me, I still remember going to my center court in high school, still to this day, and I remember reading the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book talked about, you know, sort of the vanity of life and the meaningless of, of pursuits when it's disconnected from God and all the games people play and what true meaning and true value was, and what really mattered. And all those questions, life and death, are explored in that book. It's a very powerful book. So I want, I want to take four pieces, though, and use it as four stepping stones to a portal. So let's start with the first one. The first sort of principle, the first invitation of the new year that's found in the book of Ecclesiastes is actually verse number 7 of chapter 11. I want to read it together. It says, and it sounds so simple, but it's caught my heart. I love this verse. There's sometimes it just feel like this is how I feel, God. Light is sweet, and how pleasant to see a new day dawning. And I, you know, I just love that. Each day, a new gift. Each, you know, each day a, a new fresh possibility, like the light of a new day, like the morning sun on my face. There's some times where I, it's just so easy to be grateful. If I say, Lord, I thank you for this new day. I feel just the sun beginning to shine on the new day. I might be walking. And I just say, thank you, Lord. I just, I just thank you. It's so good to be alive. And it's so good. I, I, I'm just so grateful. I, I enjoy this gift that you've given me, this gift of this new day, a new possibility. You know, it's, it's just something that periodically we're invited to, to just enjoy together, like a gift of a new year. Um, it's interesting because I was, my wife and I have been doing something we don't normally do. We, 
we were actually doing some dog sitting for our oldest daughter. And um, she's away with a team from the church, actually, on a missions trip to in Africa right now, working with a, 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 a ministry that we've built a relationship with in Burkina Faso, Africa. It's a, it's a it's, you know, it's something that our, our church has sort of invested itself into because there's a, a member in our community who's had this vision and it's coming to pass. Anyway, it's long, there's a lot of details there. Bottom line was my wife and I were, were walking the dog. We had never actually been introduced to the dog community of San Francisco before. <laughs> so we went, we started going to Fort Funston. And we realized there was a, that's, you know, on the west side of the city, from, most of you know that, but not everybody. But it's like, you know, dog heaven. I mean, there are dogs everywhere, and they're not on leashes, and people have this whole way of sort of being together. You see packs of dog walkers. I had never seen anything like it before. I wasn't used to it. But I started to familiarize myself these last, you know, few weeks with the, this world, this culture. And I've actually, I actually enjoyed it. I've been really enjoying it in my own way, getting to know how you do things. And anyway, I'm saying all that because it, we had one of the most beautiful sunsets these last few days I was walking, and my wife and I were just commenting well, just how absolutely beautiful it was right now. It's just the unique weather patterns we're having where there's, it's really colder, a little bit colder in the morning, but we're getting these really clear days, and it was so colorful. It was so beautiful, pastels and oranges. It was, and it was just, I could see the expanse, you know, of the, of the colors on the, the ocean that I've sort of grown up around all my life. I grew up on the west side of the city. And I sort of taken it for granted. It was just seemed to be in that moment we were both talking about the unique beauty of what we we're just right now enjoying. This like artistry of God right in front of us. This is awesome. And, and we started talking, and I said, you know, this is probably because it was twilight. I said, this is probably one of the most favorite times of the day. And my wife said it's definitely she loved it. She thought it was her favorite time. I said, the only one that actually for me compares, I actually think if I had to choose, I go between dusk and dawn. I think I'm, I think I, I lean into the dawn. She goes, Well, I think I lean to, she leans towards the dusk, right? I said, but I love the idea of a new day. And I go, because part of what it makes me feel is grateful. And I want to suggest that the gift of a new year, and I'll just kind of put this up on the board as a stepping stone. The gift of the new year really does invite us into gratitude. It does. And you know what? Gratitude, listen, it's a choice. It's a chosen attitude. Gratitude is a chosen attitude. It's something we have to decide. It's interesting to me because I think for the first time, I feel like I've always been really kind of grateful to God for the gift of being alive, and I've appreciated it as a gift. But I tell you, I think for the first time in my life, when I, when I had the, the appendicitis, but it really wasn't at that point. It was, that felt bad for a few days. But when I ended up getting the infection on the post end of the surgery, I was in so, I, I was in so much, I had never felt as much pain as I felt. And it was the first time where I really, I, I realized I was having a hard time being grateful. I was a hard, I definitely was having a hard time being creative. I could see my attitude was really struggling, struggling with just even, you know, like, God, oh, what's going on here? You know, why is this happening to me? And, and you know what? I started to sit with, I realized that it's actually very difficult to be grateful when we're in pain. And then it gave me a very different appreciation for so many people who have to live with pain. You know, there's a lot of us, some of us, we, we, it's not just the physical issues. It might be something that has to do with an emotional thing. It might have to do with or some things that have happened to us or we've experienced or we really struggle with. And it's very pain. We're in a lot of pain. We're, we're relational pain. Um, that's real. 
I begin to realize that God has grace. You know, part of God's grace for me in this moment was to teach me, I think, one, to be grateful for blessings that I had just taken for granted, and two, to be far more empathetic with others who suffer. I begin to realize that people around me who I've seen follow Jesus and live so gracefully and gratefully when I knew they were in real pain, and I had always just said, well, I really appreciate it. I, you know what? I started appreciating it at a much different level. I started to say, wow. They really know how to live in the grace of God. There's something about that that inspired me. And then it's, it's that stone of being grateful. But then there's another stone that leads us to this portal as we move into this new year. This new year invites us into something else. And this is in Ecclesiastes 10.10. And it's a different kind of invitation that we have here. It's something that I really love at the beginning of the year. It says this, using, this is kind of biblical language, but just think about what it's saying. Using a dull axe requires great strength. So sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. And what this is really talking about, do you see what it's talking about? It's implying that there are times where true wisdom requires us for living, requires us to pull out of what we've been doing. That we are maybe hitting or, uh, with the ax so continually that eventually that blade starts to dull. And then what starts to happen in life is that what we're doing, we can, the, we're working even harder and getting less and less results. But there's a law of diminishing returns that starts to set in as the blade dulls, the edge dulls. And so there's this value, what the Bible is saying, in pulling back at times and reevaluating, or re, if you can say reconfiguring or creating space. And that's one of the values that this is talking about, the principle of sometimes pulling out for greater efficiency and effectiveness. Again, a lot of times, we're, it's not about just working harder. It's not about just doing the same thing we've been doing with even more, you know, intention. It, sometimes it requires us to pull out of something and relook at it, sharpen it, recalibrate, look and, and challenge some things in a different way. This is a great principle that sometimes we have to do this. That the, that the most important thing we can do is actually pull out and reflect and think and pray and re-examine what we're actually doing. If we're just always doing, eventually, if we're always just slogging away, eventually, that's, see, that's the principle of the Sabbath, is that you've got to pull out sometimes and recreate. And then, now, again, if I might take it one step further, that, that this whole idea that, that when we start noticing this happening, this, that, that we need to sharpen things. And so... I'm going to suggest the new year, I'm going to use the biblical language here, that the new year invites us to sharpen um, our axe blade. That is to recalibrate. That is to sharpen our focus, to challenge our priorities, to let go of some of the unhealthy or unproductive habits that we may have fallen into and to establish or reestablish healthy ones. This is a great time of the year. This is what, I want to, this is what I'm trying to get at. This is a perfect time to pull back. This is Pull back and sharpen the blade. Am I, am, I, am, I, am, I paying, am I basically putting too much emphasis on the doing when I need to be more centered into, into who God's wanting me to be? Am I even seeing things right? Am I even hitting the right tree? Have I, am I just like flailing away with no thought to effectiveness? Am I just kind of going through this process where I'm stuck in a rut and I'm just doing it. I'm in the groove, but I'm just kind of like 
sticking this? Is God calling me to relook at this re, and re-examine it, ask some questions about, is this, is this the attitudes I'm supposed to be having? Is, am I putting enough priority here? If this is what I say is most important in my life, but this is what's really showing up, is it, what, what do I do about that? If this is what I say means most to me, but this is what's getting all my attention. I mean, I think there, there are these times when we need to pull back, take a, a, a time to reflect prayerfully with God, to really think some long thoughts. Carve out space to sharpen that blade, as it were. Using that analogy, what it reminds us of is there's a time for making adjustments. And I'm, I'm a big believer that even small adjustments sometimes, at, if they play themselves out through the year, have a big impact. And listen, loved ones, never underestimate the power of a small promise kept. Especially when we make those promises to ourselves. I, I feel like it's important to make a couple of small promises and then try to keep them rather than making these big, large ones that we just give up on. There's wisdom. There's wisdom in being reflective about what God is asking me to think about doing as I move into this new year, adjusting, reemphasizing, prioritizing in a different way. That's what I'm trying to get at. And again, now, I slipped this over to this third piece here. So we have the one, the two, here's the three. This one's gonna seem almost a little bit, remember I told you Ecclesiastes can be a little bit on the melancholy side? Okay, here it is. Ecclesiastes 7.4. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Pastor, you're ruining my new year. Come on. But I can tell you that this has helped me. Because the new year, and here's the third, third little stone, the new year invites us to think about the span of our life. It really does. Do you know that previous generations of followers of Jesus, especially in the early centuries, had this practice? In the Latin, it was called memento mori. It was a practice, it was, in which that basically, in the Latin, in, in our, we would translate that out as remember, remember that you will die. And what they would do is they would, they would use art and they would use symbols to remind themselves that they would not last forever, that death was a reality. They were to live with humility, not arrogance, that we were only passing through. Each person has their day on the stage, as it were. And so one of the values, so you would see it, you would see it in pictures. Every now and then they, they would do certain things that like you'll see it. In some of the artwork, you'll see a, a skull in the middle of a corner. Other times people would have other symbols that would remind them we're only passing through. Therefore, you know, I, even my life, I, I periodically like to have symbols that remind me somehow that I just walk, they're around me. Maybe you might want to do that this at the beginning of the year. Say here, or maybe you have that already. It could be a verse. It could be, a, it could be something that reminds you that you need to stay in this place. Like for me, I have a couple of things that have been, like you can see there's a couple of them right now. One of them, this was actually given to me on my 50th birthday by some mean-hearted person who <laughs> said, your time is running out, Pastor Terry. Actually, you know, and this is not even an hourglass. I mean, they gave me a half hourglass. They gave me a half hourglass. It's just like, come on, you know? And then, and then they said, you know, I'm reminded me of my grandfather. He used to say, you know, Terry, he says, uh, for 30 minutes is good enough for a, a good message, but too long for a bad one. So... Speaking of my grandfather, he's one of my 
pictures that I have near me with my grandmother, who next month will turn 90. But he was very much of an influence. You want to see, like you have these too, many of us. But I, I never knew these two people who I love out of this lens. Because when I was a boy, they were already older than this. But every now and then, I remind myself that, in fact, they're far younger there than I am now. Our life is moving. One gener do you see? One generation comes and another goes. Everybody who say, oh, they're, they're older now, they were once young as well. And we who are young, if we live long enough, will someday be older. Life, and that's what the Bible teaches us. What should that do for us? You know what the Bible says? Instead of depressing us, what it should do, it should challenge us to think about how we're living. One of the things it reminds us of is it goes back to that first little stone in the path. We need to be grateful. Life's too short to be angry all the time. Bitter, unforgiving. Forget that. No way. Don't do that. Every time I find myself getting stuck in a place, I say, Lord, keep my heart free. Don't let me go. Don't let me stay. I, if I'm going to visit, but don't let me stay there because that's not a good place for me. I don't want to do that. I have been forgiven. I don't want to be bound up in stuff. Get my attitude right. Free me up. Don't let me be an angry, mean person. I've said this before. It's worth saying. I've noticed how some people age. Have you ever noticed that some people, it's like you either get, nobody stays the same. I, it's a, I, think, I think you either get, I've seen people get nicer. They go, wow, you're getting so much nicer in your old age. And I've seen people, they get meaner. Wow, so, so, so why are you so angry all the time? I know, what I, I know what the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to grow older gracefully and be a nicer person. It's his will for us, you know. Well, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about how just life moves. And it, we're being invited to consider our life and the span of our life. And it's a passing gift. And it, it invites us to be grateful it invites us to, listen, also, this for me, anyway, it reminds me that I only have so much of an opportunity to honor God with my life in this, on this side of eternity. Therefore, Lord, don't let me get lazy with my attitude and, and my, the way I think about my life. Let me, let me seek to honor you in this season of my life to the best of my abilities. And, we'll, and every one of us is in a season of life. Do you understand what I'm saying? What season are you in? Now, we can assume nothing about our duration. But what, what we do know is if we do live along a, a certain amount of time, we, we're in a season of our life. What season we're in, someone, you know, was, we, I was thinking about it, how some of us are in, a, in what we would call the youth of our life. Some of you are just starting out. And, and life is great. You have a lot of strength, a lot of energy. And, and I would say this, don't waste, your, don't waste your youth. It's a gift. And don't waste it in frivolous things. Um, I've watched a lot of people come back home to the Lord, if I can put it that way, or to a place of openness to God as the years have gone by, but who had gotten way off course. In fact, I was thinking about how a lot of times we say, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, I've got plenty of time, so it doesn't matter the kind of choices I make. Even if I make bad choices, I can recover from that. And, and, and it's true. We can recover from a lot of it, but, you know, I was... One of our pastors actually was listening to the message, and he, he texted me um, something. He was, he was listening, and he said, for youth, choices become entanglements from which recovery requires a lengthy journey. 
For youth, choices can become entanglements from which recovery requires a lengthy journey. There are some detours we go, oh, it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. It, it creates a path that requires years, sometimes decades, to recover from. God doesn't want us to go down those paths. God has a way for us to go. It's a way of life. It's, it's far better to hear his voice and to follow in his ways than to simply follow the Pied Piper of culture that's giving us a wrong message so many times. The Lord has a way. You know, the honor the Lord in the, days of my, in the days of our youth, if we have the ability to do it. Some of us, we're at a different place. We're in the middle of our, we're starting to forge out a life and we're, we're building into our 20s and into our 30s. And, and I'm going to say, this is a time to challenge what we're building. The foundations of what we're building matter. It's a big deal because foundations determine the, the, the height and length of a stretch, that ultimate health, the foundation's the key time. Some of us are in our middle years. You know, we're really starting to think about these types of things. This is also a time in these middle years where people do extraordinarily reckless things. It's one thing to want to recreate, re, you know, sort of start into a new path, have a, have a gap year, and find out, a sh do a shift of some type. But I have seen people in the middle years do incredibly rash things that end up injuring tons of people and undermining what took years of faithfulness to build just because of a season of unique restlessness. And how many are left in the wake of that recklessness? How much pain follows it along? It's unnecessary. God wants us to have new beginnings, yes. God wants us to have creative expressions, yes. God wants us to have restarts, yes. There's okay. That's what adjustments are for. But let us be careful in the process. We're not hurting people and hurting our own life with him. And then you know, there's also the temptation of what happens when I start getting older. Well, I no longer have value. I no longer, I'm no longer respected the way that I was. Then when people start to get real older, they begin to have other challenges. You know, one of my heroes has become even more of a hero to me in the last decade and a half is Billy Graham. And one of the things I've appreciated, because you know why? Now he's in his 90s. When he speaks, there's so much weight behind it of a life well lived. And a man who finished well that I hear, a man who still loves the Lord. I go, good to this, Lord. And he was talking about, he wrote it, he said, this is probably, this is probably, this is my last book. He said, I don't, I don't see, he goes, I don't see how I'm going to live. Because I'm nearing, it's called nearing home for a reason. And he's thinking in his mind, he's going, you know, and remember I told you, I've mentioned this before, he was amazed that he's lived, he thought he was going to die like, he's a relatively young man. He thought, there's no way I can keep the pace of what I'm doing up. He was preaching all over the world. He was burning the oil all the time. He, he was just working so hard. He just assumed he had health issues in his middle years. He thought he was going to die and, and at a fairly early age. He goes, I was prepared to die. He goes, what I wasn't prepared for was growing old. He goes, that I wasn't prepared for. He goes, and in fact, I, I was reading this. He said this, he says, in his own way. He says, so just hear the language. He says, Whoever first said it was right, whoever first said this was right, old age is not for sissies. He says, I will soon celebrate my 93rd birthday. Now he's, he's going to 95. I know it won't be long before God calls me home to heaven. More than ever, I look forward to that day, not just because of the wonders I know heaven holds in store for me and for every believer, but because I know that finally all the burdens and sorrows that press down upon me at this stage of my life will be over. During the last year, the physical ailments common to old age really have taken their toll on me. 
I also look forward to that day because I will be reunited with Ruth, my beloved wife and best friend for almost 64 years, who went home in 2007 to be with the Lord she loved and served so faithfully. And although I rejoice that her struggles with weakness and pain have all come to an end, to be honest, I still feel as if a part of me has been ripped out. And I miss her far more than I could have ever imagined. No, no. But that isn't the whole story, nor, nor did God intend for it to be. While the Bible doesn't gloss over the problems we face as we grow older, neither does it paint old age as a time to be despised or a burden to be endured with gritted teeth. That is, he says in parentheses, if we still have any. All right. <laughs> nor does it picture us in our latter years as useless and ineffective, condemned just to spend our last days in endless boredom or meaningless activity until God finally takes us home. He says, no. Instead, the Bible says that God has a reason for keeping us here. If he didn't, he would take us to heaven far sooner. And then a phrase that I asked them if they could put up for all of us to see, because it's a question for every one of us, no matter where we are in our own life. He says, but what is his purpose for these years? And how can we align our lives with that purpose, with it? How can we not only learn to cope with the fears and struggles and growing limitations we face, but also actually grow stronger inwardly in the midst of these difficulties? Again, what is his purpose for these years, and how can we align ourselves with them? What is God saying to us in this year? What is he calling us into? What is a seasonal word for us? He's inviting us to think about it, to reflect on it. Remember, we can just keep running. We can just chop, keep chopping away. But we are being given this opportunity in these first couple of weeks to pull back, take a long walk, spend some significant amount of time, talk to the Lord, ask him, reflect, have some good conversations that evaluate where I am in my life with you, God, and, and we'll share that with someone else. Listen. Pray for one another. Take this time to think some long thoughts. Reflect on what we're building. Am I putting my emphasis in the right places right now? Is God saying, you know what, that was good for a while, but you've got to make an adjustment here. Or this is something that you can keep doing, but it's not going to get you where I'm really asking you to go. There's a change that needs to be made here, even a small one. It makes a big difference. These are the questions. I, I look at this and I go, you know, and when the Ecclesiastes, it got to the fourth stone that leads to the portal that I've been talking about for this series. This was how he concluded it in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said this, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God. All that means is honor, revere, and respect him and obey his commands because this is everyone's duty. So he's summarizing Basically, he's, he's, he, this is his way of distilling life down to a supreme purpose. And it got me thinking about what Jesus said. This is where it leads us to. This is where we're going. It, that path led me to this. It's, it's, what did Jesus say the supreme purpose of our life was? What did he say truly is a meaningful life? Because he did say it. He told us what it was. And, he did, and it's fascinating because he didn't say it's how much you can achieve and be temporarily remembered for. He didn't say it's how much we acquire and temporarily possess because it will all be left behind. He didn't say it was even about being a happy person, even though he wanted people to be happy and talked about being blessed. He didn't even say it was about just being a good person, although he clearly articulated a life that is good. 
This is what he said, and it came on the heels of a conversation when a man asked him a question about what was the supreme purpose of the law of Moses, which was the guiding light of the Jewish people. And he said basically what the question was is, what do you see as the supreme purpose of life? Here's what we'll finish with. It's in Mark 12, verse 28 and 31. Just look at it. It says this. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. To the debate. And as he's listening, he realized that Jesus had answered well. And there was a conversation that had taken place prior to that. So he asked this question. Of all the commandments, what is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. And then he quoted something that would have had historical meaning, and he condensed it all down to two great principles, two foundational principles that he said makes one a true success in the eyes of God. He said, listen to Israel. The Lord our God is one, the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God, number one, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And then second is like unto this, is important as well, that you love your neighbor, you love other people, as yourself, no other commandment, I tell you, no other commandment is greater than these. You want to know what real success in life looks like? Right here, he says, this is it. Learn to love God. And what does that even mean? What does that mean? I, he, was, he was saying, look, the most important thing you can ever do in this life is to love the one creator God who gave us his one and only son in a way, and to love him in a way that is tender, to love him in a way that is committed, sincere, intentionally thoughtful, and utterly devoted. He reminded all of us that the best thing we can ever do in this life is to acknowledge God and learn to love him, and I mean truly love him, and to receive his love. That's why I always say when we talk to the Lord, how we talk to people matters. The second he said is like unto this, do you love your neighbor as yourself? So loving God and loving others. He said, and why do we feel sometimes permission Somehow, because we're familiar to speak words that we would never speak to people. I mean, words have power. It amazes me sometimes the permission we feel to damage and to hurt and to maim verbally, to diminish people we're supposed to be loving. In Christ, that may have been our old way. That may have even been the way that was modeled to us. That is not the way of the Lord. That's why God calls us to speak to him. When we say, I love you, Lord, you know what that does for us? It doesn't. I mean, I, I suppose God, I know God appreciates when we express our love for him. It doesn't change essentially necessarily who he is, but you know what it changes? It changes us. Because what I speak to, what I speak to be, is enlarged in me. My power of words is that it shapes us. So when I speak to someone who I should be loving and I say to you, I love you, my love is enhanced because I speak it out. When I say to him, this is why I speak my prayers out. I think them. And I speak them because I say, Lord, I love you. I love you and I thank you. And I, I appreciate you. You know, when I do this, what does it do? It, it changes me because what we speak into affects who we become. My love for him grows. When I speak to my children or to my wife or the people who, are, are, who mean deeply, you know, they mean a lot to me. When I express at times that in my heart, it creates that in my heart. Same, flip it over in the opposite way. When we speak to people, that's why I would say don't, when I hear someone say something like diminishes the Lord, like taking his name in vain or, you know, this, that, and all that stuff, right? I hear that and I go, don't do that. 
you're just diminishing your own soul. Just, I know you're doing it out of habit, but don't do that. It, it's like when you speak of God that way, it, it, do you know what it's doing to you? Same thing with another person. Well, I'm mad at them. But don't, that, I get that. We all get mad. And we all step out of bounds. But don't start using that as a permission. Let's just start demeaning people, speaking in, in ways that are just so destructive and sometimes even vile. It's like, her, why would we do that? Out of the same mouth that praises God ought not to come cursing. That's what the, at the same fountain should not show, go, you know, clean water and salt water at the same time. Sweet water is, no, he says, don't do it. Don't do that. This is the way. See, this is what we're going to be sitting with. How to grow in our love for God, but really even more so, how to play it out relationally. That's why in the coming weeks we're going to be talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to be talking about principles. Okay? I know the Lord is calling us to grow. I know that community is a big part of that. We've got a lot of opportunities out there to get connected, get involved. Real growth comes when we train with one another. I could talk a lot about this. I'm just telling you, all kinds of things are going on in the church right now. If we want to get involved, there's absolutely no, I mean, men's ministries, breakfasts, coffee talks, women's ministries, Moms Incorporated, you know, student college groups. We've got 20 and 30-something rendezvous ministries. I mean, there's opportunities in small groups, ministry teams, everywhere growing in Bible studies. There's every reason, every opportunity, music, everything's going. There's so many. It's still going to have to be a decision on our part that we intentionally make to put a priority on our desire to grow in our love for God, which correspondingly will affect our ability to love others. That's what I'm saying. Okay? So I'm going to pray. We'll close out. Let me do this now. All right. Lord, I thank you. I love you. I, I bless you. I I need you in my life. I, my short life, our life is passing. It's, it's more than entertainment and games and things like that, Lord. Those are all fun. But the real life, real life, not fake life, real life, is far more profound, far more profound. Teach us your ways. Show us your path. Help us to walk into your principles and truths, Lord. Be our guiding light. Work our life, work into our lives, work out of our lives. Um, grace upon grace, master artist, creator of beautiful skies and starry nights. Work your art in us, Lord. Let us be filled with good words. Bless our time of giving, bless our closing song, which is a fitting ending to what we've shared, a good prayer, a really good one. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.